25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. Hi everyone and welcome to 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse First Edition. Uh, it's right folks, we said we was just coming along and we're finally here. We get to talk about uh, a very interesting release in 1992 in fact. I think, uh, hell, if I was still in high school and not even a senior, um, this is the Wayback Machine for a lot of people. Um, off the bat, I want to set a pace, though, that we get with this. Remember, kind of going the Wayback Machine with us, this book is going to be read as is. What that means is, just as they wrote it, as they intended it, is how Nick and I are going to digest that here. And we're going to get into it. And uh, by the way, hello, everyone. This is Nick. Nick, everyone. Hey, everybody. I skipped right over them, folks. I apologize that this will be a little different. We have uh, the team's going to go to sort of chime in, chime out on certain podcasts that we're getting up and doing. And uh, tonight they said, hey, me and Nick, it's going to fly as the dynamic duo here and kind of get through part of this. And I do mean part of this. In the past, we would ram a jam, maybe a, a book of this size in two episodes and say, there's the review. Have a day. However, we're going to take a different take on this. We want to go through these terms because it's not Vampire the Masquerade. It's not something everybody is 100% on the up and up and understanding terminology yeah. for. And it's something we're going to kind of get into a bit. And so this is going to be a combo of a review and we'll fill with surprises. Um, something I will tell you with it being a first edition book and written in 1992, it's definitely not 2020. It's not yeah. updated material. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start off with a, a quick reading. Uh, that I want to get to. Actually, I'll finish explaining that process, then we'll get to the reading. So expect it to go like this, folks. We plan on getting through about three chapters, is the estimate here in an hour, uh, that we're going to go through. And then the parts that are kind of a, a typical read, meaning that you're used to it, you understand the storyteller system of White Wolf, and we know you do, because you've been fans and listening to all the previous material for uh, World of Darkness so far. Um, we're going to go ahead and do a review of those those areas instead of a deep dive. And uh, the stuff that we need to kind of get into, which is a lot of in the beginning here, chapter one and two, We'll do that a little bit, at least yep. as far as this book presents it. I can't stress that enough. Um, points of contention. There's only two that I know of off the top of my head that you're going to hear. And uh, really one, we'll say one. I don't want to get into the other stuff because why poke a sleeping bear? <laughs> um, it's the concept. <laughs> right, right. It's the con. It's there's, there's one terminology that's used here and it's called metis. M-E-T-I-S. Metis. Yep. It is not a reference to the Matisse people uh, that's are there, like a Native American Canadian. Or right? I, I believe pronounced Métis by one of our Canadian friends. I'm, I'm not too sure because I am not French. Yeah, it's uh, it's Métis or Métisse. It depends on, on how you want to look at it that way. But the writers didn't refer to them in that terminology. No one, in fact, referred yep. to them. In fact, if you look at the Metis that they were referring to, they took it from Greek mythology. Where that term actually came from, there's a titan uh, by the name of Metis. And this is the infamous one that Zeus tricks into a, into taking the shape of a fly, and she swallows it. Now, if you if you follow that along, later on what pops out of her head is uh, the uh, the goddess of wisdom, Athena, is what springs from Zeus's head. He had a headache, and he crack it open or whatever, and he comes out. Very weird kind of Greek mythology there. But the point they had hammered home was the fact that the Metis uh, is, is is a shape changing, born a guru kind of kind of a primal thing of the wild. Yeah, uh, that that's that that way out of birth, and they wanted to kind of capture that essence. And uh, I wonder, by the way, I didn't contact Mark Reinhagen or anybody to get a confirmation on it. But when I read that history, <laughs> you can see elements 
pulled from that mythology into that term. And we're just going to go ahead and say that that's what it's got to be. Go with the most logical choice, not the one that you want to, you know, kind of kind of string some aid on. Yeah. There's no need to do that. So um, the other thing is, this is a work of fiction. This entirety is a thing of fiction. It's it's inspired by things that happened, you know, in, in different cultures yeah. that it kind of takes inspiration from. But this is not meant to... To, to be a factoid book to research instead of looking up the real material uh, that you can get from it, right? For instance, these are not the werewolves you're even used to by Hollywood standards. Yep. There's definite similarities, but they do diverge and are different. And uh, so just keep that in mind. Take that with a grain of salt. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to get into it. Nick, if you wouldn't mind, if you use your sultry tones here. Are, are you serious? You want, All right. All right. I'll... <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. I'll do the first one. Then you got the Phoenix. What we're talking about, folks, is off the bat, we're going to hit you with the way this book does. There's, there's some glorious artwork in here to set the tone of what Werewolf the Apocalypse is, right? You're turning the pages, getting into it. Before you even get to a deep intro, it has this wonderful excerpt in here. On a, It shows a full Krenos werewolf or the, the man-wolf warformer used to seeing like werewolf in London style. And that's that's off the bat, or the howling. That's the scarier version. Um, so uh, what it says is, these are the final days. The signs are clear. Even our pups know that this is the age of the apocalypse. The Hamas have corrupted the earth, destroyed the trees, slaughtered the beasts, choked the air, poisoned the soil, clogged the waters, unleashed the eternal fire. Now the worm rises to eclipse the moon, devouring all within its grasp, hunting the hunters. There is no garden to which we can flee. There is nowhere to hide. The end is upon us. When will you rage? So immediately... This book, before it even gets a chance to let you know what's going on, it's like, guess what? You're a werewolf, and here's the thing to be pissed about. Yeah. Right? Just like, here it is. Here's rage. Just just harness it. Get an idea. They capture it, right? Right there in just that startup. And then as you flip through some more artwork to kind of get you in, a few quotes, as they're, they're traditionally known, especially back in the first set books, are really leaning on uh, to get it going. Now, why I enjoy that is because it kind of prepares you mentally. Uh, for what you're about to read. And of course, they got a table of contents. Won't bore you with that. But because uh, the structure right here is kind of... It, it's it's painted to get you into the book, but from almost an entire story basis. Right? So what I mean by that is, is that it doesn't even start where it says, like, you know, chapter one, and here's this. No, it goes from that excerpt to the prophecy of the phoenix. The prophecy of the phoenix is, uh, is told almost in a, a first-person perspective. Uh, like it would be around the campfire. And I'm just going to dive right into it. It starts off, Phoenix took me, carried me in his claws high above the world so that I could see beyond tomorrow. And I looked and I beheld the future. I saw the death of many of our relations, hunted beyond hunting, death beyond death to the last one. There were no more children or grandchildren or fathers or mothers. This was the first sign the Phoenix gave to me and that the children of the weaver the Hamids would give to us the Garu. I looked, I beheld the future. I saw the children of the weaver birthing, a great tide of humans rising. I saw more and more until Gaia groaned and having to carry them all. Their houses overrunning, their rakes raping, their hands clawing at the parched earth, trying to feed off her. This was the second sign of the last days that Phoenix showed me that the humans would do. I looked again, I beheld the third sign. So many, so many children, so many Hamids. And they fell against each other, one to one, 
and the worm brought forth corruption and made them each take a little. And their strange fire I saw, out of control, the great plume rising over the wilderness, spreading death wherever it went, that death and cold land. And I heard the agony of the sea as she keened, for some drunken fool had poured a lake of black death upon her. I turned my head away in disgust, and I could not help but look again. I beheld the fourth sign. The worm grew powerful, its wings fanning the breezes of decay. It spread its diseases, and they were horrible, killing the herd with disease of the head and the blood. Children were born twisted. Animals fell sick. No one could cure them. In these final days, even the warriors of Gaia would not escape the palsied talons of the sickness-bringing death bird. A tear in my eye. I looked again, and the phoenix showed me the fifth sign. I saw other plumes rising like death spears toward the beautiful sky, piercing it, letting father's son burn and parch her. The air grew hot. Even in the darkness of winter, it was warm. The plants withered in the sun. A cry of pain and disease came up from the dying forest as one of the relations cried tears of mourning. Then it was a veil was torn, and the sixth sign showed itself to me. In these last days, Gaia will shake in rage. Fire will boil from the depths. Ash will coat the sky. The worm skulks in the shadows made by these and rears to strike. The old ones are all gone. The guardians of the pathways and the crossroads are finished. In these final days, the sixth sign will make itself known in the packs that form. Each pack will unto itself have a quest, a sacred journey they must perform. Such is the will of the weaver, and such is the will of Gaia, and the phoenix told me. And I saw the sky turn black, and the moon was as blood. And in the seventh sign I glimpsed, though I could not look on it in full, but its heat I could feel. The apocalypse, the final days of the world, the moon became swallowed by the sun, and it burned in his belly. Unholy fires fell to the ground, burning us all, twisting us, and making us cough blood. The worm made itself manifest in the towers and the rivers in the air, and everywhere its children ran rampant, devouring, destroying, calling down curses of every time, or of every kind. And here the herd ran in fear, and the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight, and Phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. Then Phoenix left me. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, and each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. And as if that wasn't dire enough, right? I mean, that's, that has a lot, of, lot to it. I mean, this entire book is based on this this prophecy, I feel, that it's, it's hammering home. These are the end times, and this great spiritual vision was had and shared, and everyone knows it's true because they could see examples of this everywhere they look, and they just feel they're a part of it. And so this is a form of alienating the audience, right? It makes you feel as you're one of the guru, and you're, you're just kind of burdening yourself with the story. And then look around, and you see it all around you. It's like you can't escape it. You can't get it out of, it, out of your head. I think it's very good for that. But if that wasn't enough, there are further words to kind of bring you further in game here. And that's uh, from Amara Windcrusher here. She says that the prophecy is upon us, my Fostern. There can be no doubt. Call me a doomsayer. Call me a cackling hag bitch. Call me whatever you will, but listen to my words. I tell you now that before this decade is out, we shall see the first glimpses of the seventh sign. 
Already we have seen mass extinction, overpopulation, and the endless disasters of the Hamids. Or has the shame of Valdez and Chernobyl fled your feeble memories? They are destroying the mother's every organ, and now she shakes in agony and rage, vomiting ashes into the sky. Who can deny they have seen the signs? Surely none among you would be so foolish. These are indeed the last days. The time of prophecy is upon us. Act now we must, for we have no time left for words. And so with that like prophecy to that one comment, it's like, let's make a character and get at it. What I love about you, or what about this, and you as well, because you're beautiful. What <laughs> I love about this, of course, is that it drives momentum into you. You don't have to question what your purpose is in this game. It is laid out before you so clearly that uh, that that you have no choice but to march to this to the war drum. You have to. <laughs> That's the best way to put it, right? Because if you look at that prophecy again, it's great overall hook. It's responsibility and a first emotional hold for the reader. It's focused on spirituality, right? That whole story is from a spiritual bent. Duty and purpose, like you said, it's right there. And uh, it does its job, pulls you in, and you want to play this game, right, immediately. At least I do. And that's, and that's how it goes. Now, in the sacred ways, it even takes an in-character bent. You know, it's talking to you as if you're a cub, right? A yep. young pup, as, uh, as it starts out. Now, what a cub. It, it's interesting to say cub. Right, because I know there are bear cubs, and if you're a wolf, it'd be a pup. But they just call a young werewolf a, a cub. Yep. They like interchange it. Doesn't matter. And uh, we just call that eh, fluff. It sounds great. <laughs> you go with it. Uh, so in it, it says that, uh, that you have a life of duality, right? And what they're referring to directly here is is a wolf and human, you know? And they describe to the fact that life is pain, specifically from the simple fact of it's going to be very difficult if you're a wolf, just straight up a wolf. It's very difficult if you're a human. But if you're both, you belong to neither. So if you're a werewolf, you're not going to fit in with the normal wolves. You're not going to fit in with the normal humans. You need to yeah. fit in with your own kind at that point. And that's the point of pain they're, they're given. It's that lack of being able to fit in until you undergo some things, like your rite of passage, your first change. Uh, but Nick, when it refers to the sacred mother of all things, what's it talking about? Uh, it's talking about Gaia, of course. Uh, Gaia, the mother of all guru. And... Uh... And the the mother of all creation, as it as it were. It's it's fascinating how they how they put that right. The sacred mother of all things, that's everything. That's the moon, the stars, the universe. That's everything. Yep. This this Gaian entity brought it up. Now they're even quick to point out they refer to it as Gaia, for the Earth gives all. Yep. And that's and that's it. But that's that's not necessarily Gaia. There's a misconception to say Gaia is the Earth. Well, the energies, the life energies are what they're referring to, right? Sort of a connector across everything animistic is, uh, is really what they're referring to. And the earth is definitely a ball of life that, you know, gives birth to many things. And, and that is a part of her, but that is more like her body. And who knows? The stars are like, she's like one giant spiritual body <laughs> is what it's getting to. And it's kind of interesting because when you point it out and look at it that way, it kind of makes you rethink of the importance of well, the let me not not her, the threat of the worm, and we'll and we'll get to that before waxing poetic. Now when we refer to Guru, they immediately start talking about children. The children, well, the first thing they talk about is the curse, right? That that you were talking about, and that curse is that that you can never be on one side or the other, right? Whether you were born into a wolf population or whether you were born into a human population. On both sides, there's something about you that slowly over time 
unsettles everybody. It's like it's like uh, if 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 you grew up next to somebody who was a serial killer, but unlike every story you've ever heard, ever heard, people don't never suspect it. They know the whole time. They're just like, there's something about this guy. I don't like it. He's off red alarms all the time. It's, it's the same thing. Even if you're in a wolf population, they'll ostracize you. They'll push you off to the side. The alphas will pick on you. It's just constantly, you know, stay away from the pack for the most part. We'll tolerate you because you're something we're familiar with. But beyond that, we don't want you around. You're uncomfortable to us. And they definitely hammer that home with the whole fact that when you uh, undergo your first change as a werewolf, if uh, at all, if you if you take the war form that uh, man wolf form, Krinos as they refer to it, um, the wolf pack that sees you will flee that area. They will never come back to that territory. Yeah. Uh, because they know there's a greater predator, and that's how they handle fear. A lupus or a, a lupine, if you will. That's how they do it. Their goal, they don't want to fight it. It's clearly going to be able to kill me, so they take off. Right? Survival is what instinct gives them. And that's an expression of, quote-unquote, their fear. Now, referring to children, the guru or the werewolves. So we probably should define that term a bit better. Instead of just calling them werewolves or lupines, they have their own terminology. And amongst themselves, yeah. they refer to themselves as guru. And uh, they have a rule with their children, right? It says, Guru must not mate with Guru, for it produces monsters called Metis. Yes. Now, that's terminology. Mm. It produces monsters called Metis. And yeah. he- here's the thing. I kind of find it a similarity between them and when, like, the Catholic Church came out with uh, with marriage, right? And have, having to do that, to have, <laughs> to have offspring, right, is how I saw it. Guru shall not mate with Guru. And this is, this is vastly different, but I'm saying it cracked me up because I can make the correlation. Uh, but the whole point here is why the metis are made is because if a werewolf mates with a werewolf, they're guaranteed an offspring. But that offspring yeah. is going to be uh, what well, we would know that is inbred. Well, they're, they're guaranteed a they're they're guaranteed a guru offspring, right? But the because that's the the biggest curse is that the gene for being a werewolf is recessive. Whether you're in a, a wolf population or you're in a people population, one out of ten will will become a um, a, a werewolf. So that's a it's a heavy blow to to just the population of the guru nation. But if werewolf and werewolf mate a hundred percent of the time. You will have yourself a guru, but that guru is sterile and deformed, and it comes out as a as a metis, um, which uh, which its natural form is in is in the Krinos form, which is the the werewolf of legend, you know, form. It it stands super tall, has but mini. fangs, but mini, right? It's mini. But it's mini? only a little guy. It's only a little guy. It's like uh but, but but you know the size that would fall out of a womb. Yeah, sure. Like a toddler. <laughs> you know, like a toddler falls out, you know. It doesn't even get uh, into that specific. It's like, you know, oh. there's there's been photos like there I, I will admit to seeing drawings of what it would be is this that but it's like terrifies me already. <laughs> uh, but they but they also describe it. Like these things would tear out of their mother. Is yeah. what they would do, do grievous damage to the person who who birthed them. Which makes sense, and they can only be raised in a, on a, on a holy site, a cairn, as they call it, um, or a sept. Someone to take care of them, or their their territory. Here, we'll get to that. Uh, but the point is, on the children, the big push is because the apocalypse is now, as they're referring to it, and the worm is winning. Guy is dying. There's all this pollution and badness out there, and the werewolves have a one in ten chance of mating. Uh, pure, as they call it, pure meaning yep. it produces another werewolf. So because of that difficulty, it's uh. 
it's imperative that they make sure that they mate with either a lupus or a hamid. You never do it with your own kind. Now, yeah. of course, that's something that gets bent in different directions as it goes. Uh, but we'll get to that. And not all and, and medicine are not necessarily bad when it does happen. Um, but they can turn that way or there's stories on it. There's a whole game built with it. So <laughs> that being said, you're a child, you're born, you're a guru, great. Well, what does that mean? It means welcome to kind of a very hellish existence initially. Um, as they refer to it, the scariest being to me, that of the Hamid, because we could relate to that the easiest. Yep. And a Hamid someone who is almost born antisocial off the bat. They don't feel they fit in, not even to the parents that typically they're born to. Yep. Uh, what that means is like whether the mother was guru or the father was guru, or they were both kinfolk, and that's an even lower percentage, more in kinfolk later. Um, but the point is, is that this, this kid's born. And in the neighborhood, um, he's running around. People feel off about him immediately because of, like Nick already mentioned, the curse. That werewolf is in him, and people can sense it. And yep. the wise people can sense it, we'll get to in a second as well. But the point is, this curse is in him. And as they're growing up, it only makes them more and more antisocial. They're also afflicted with nightmares or undescribable dreams or a sense of staring off into nothing for long periods of time because they're having like a vision or, or something of that nature. This is the person who people drag to the party to hang out with their friends. And when everybody's playing whatever system or listen to music, they're off to the side with their drink, just trying to get you to leave them alone. But hey, at least they showed up. You know what I mean? They're, they're like directly citing that in the book. They also bring up where yeah. the older they get, like between 10 and 16, this is uh, adolescence here. That's when this really kicks in. And people go from, you know, a oh, poor guy, he's just, you know, not getting with it to where suddenly you're like devil touched for whatever yeah. reason. Like, they treat you like you're in the omen, right? <laughs> you're, you're prone to outbursts and you're either going to end up in jail or you're going to end up in the asylum, depending on how that goes. Now, Somewhere in there, ideally, you enter your first change. And really, another werewolf will find you. That's the goal. It's set up to where another werewolf can sense that you're getting to that first change moment. They find you. You go on a camping trip with Uncle Touchy. Hopefully not in the puzzle basement. And he takes you out somewhere. <laughs> I only say it like that because they describe it like a stranger from nowhere. Like this is no, this is a it, there's a there's a couple things in here that that were exciting to me that I didn't find in later versions of the game. Things like wild cubs, cubs that were never found, right. um, that, that went through the change. They got pushed out on the fringes of societies of both wolf and, uh, and people, and, and they kind of got just cast out. This is the guy who would be like sleeping on the side of the road in a, in a pickup truck with one of those caps on it that's like half a camper, and he just says, leave me alone. He's got this Nick Nolte voice. Um, right, it's a little, it's a little in the weeds of the lost cub. But the point is, we can't, we can't lose the what, what we're getting to. So, you you are born this way. You do about to go undergo a change. Someone, a stranger, another werewolf, does come and find you. They take you out to help you deal with the trauma of your first change and whatever happens with that. And then they take you to a sept. Now, what a sept is is basically all the werewolves that live around a sacred place. Well, yep. what's a sacred place? Well, they refer to them as cairns. These are places that are defended and cared for by, well, a local sept, which is a social group, right? Now, also a cairn is a, is a spiritual place because ten, they tend to have uh, totems there. Um, or a spiritual guide or just a place of great spirituality uh, that's there as well. Now, why it's relevant to the new cub, they bring you there and you'll realize that, oh, there are other cubs 
who were here as well. And they said, yeah, welcome yep. to a rite of passage. You guys get to go together, get out of here and go complete this rite of passage if you live. And when you come back, you're officially a pack. Great. And we'll tell you what your new duties are. So it's 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 like no break. And this rite of passage is no joke. It's yeah. They they don't even really help you with it. It's like you're together, go out there, this spirit will guide you, get it done, whatever it is. And whatever that task is, it's not that you have to complete it. It's that they test to see if you go out and what you do, how far you get uh, to get it done. And it's going to test your mind, body, and spirit. And it's all the help you getting used to that change in you, that new connection to the spirit world. Because to explain it, you're not crazy. When you're a werewolf growing up, what it is that you're a being of two worlds. It's of the physical and of the spiritual. But the spiritual takes its time to develop because you're yeah. born into this world and your senses are acclimated to it. You can feel it. They're all around you. You may dream of it more often than not. And, and werewolves are able to will walk between two worlds when they finally learn they can do that. So as you're growing up, it's not quite in control. And that's what's really causing the visions, the odd behavior, everything else. But when you change and that comes into focus, they then give you a rite of passage to see if you can kind of tow the company line, if you can hack it. And then what happens here, I mean, they, they go out to describe the fact that, you know, sometimes like five cubs go out, only one returns alive. Yeah. That that blew my mind. I always thought the rite of passage was kind of baby held, right? <laughs> like like the training you guys wheels. go, good luck. Yeah, you come back yeah. with a tribal totem. And you ain't Did you guys by. clean up all the trash on the side of the road? Way to go, <laughs> fighting the eco-terrorists. <laughs> you learned of the worm. Yay. And no, they're like, no, nah, it's brutal. It should test them and they could die. Sounds good. And I was like, all right, far out. You know, let's, uh, let's kind of roll around, right? And then they tell you, says, hey, well, wait a second. You got to understand there's also, we once had like many tribes. So we were huge. We had everything. And it's kind of how they... Once a time. Right. It says, but eons of war and mankind's corruption, now we're down to 13. And I sat there and was laughing about it because I'm sitting here, wait a second, Phoenix prophecy was basically mankind sucks, they polluted everything, they're ruining the world. Then you got some lady Windcrusher saying, hey, mankind sucks, they're polluting everything, they're killing the world. Then we get to this point and it's like, we were many, but man, mankind warred all over the place and got corrupted, now there's only 13. What is going on, right? Is, <laughs> well, it makes you wonder: were there were there other tribes like uh, like the the Elam, or you know, like all these other dead civilizations? Maybe there was a Persian tribe that just got washed into something else, or, or however it was. Not you know, in this it book. depends on how they're. Uh, it it doesn't go into the details of where obviously of the lost tribes. As Bob reels me back in. That's right. Because you don't hear the mention here and what we say, right? Stop going off the res here. So um, that's sort of the, uh, that's that's the point anyway. So when we get to um, Seps and Cairns, we learned about holy sites and the social structure that's around them. They jump to the fact that a pack is something that's lifeblood to the guru. This makes perfect sense. Wolves go in packs. Werewolves will go in packs. That makes sense. That's all well and good. And uh, that's that's something that has to happen. Now, why is it important is because you were designed to not handle it on your own. You know, their auspices we'll get to later, but that's sort of what it's hinting to at yeah. this point is that remember that pack function and they don't jump to auspices immediately because they kind of want you to know what this game's about before you do it. Like you get werewolves, you get the spirituality, you get why you have an idea of a beginning. But now let me explain to you what that human element is. So, so well, to hammer it in this whole section, it, it's two things. 
the, the wolf half and the human half are both social groups, right? They're both a social species. So the well, social not even, aspect- not even referring to that. Got to remember, let's establish that human element first, right? What is the deal with the humans? That's the important part. Social element be damned. I mean, here at the moment, follow me here. So, because when we get to what the delirium is, what what is that? So when we get to the delirium, we have to understand that the delirium is a complete and total fear of the werewolf. All humans are affected by this, and lupus, and, and in fact, basically non-werewolves are affected by it. And uh, rare few display stronger behavior than just fear and fleeing, but uh, they doesn't matter who it is, they all want to forget the incident. They want to rationalize what goes on, often making excuses of what actually took place. Now, this delirium, this fear comes because the werewolves used to practice uh, basically a culling. That's uh, 3,000 years werewolves controlled the human populations, uh, which were increasing beyond a balanced means, and we know that's true. Uh, but basically, right around the time we figured out agriculture in terms of crop rotation and things like that, and it was kicking off, werewolves step in to control what we were doing, just how, you know, just how bad it was. Because as we learned to grow our own food and increase, make it easier living for us, we start having babies. And you start making that population boom. They took it upon themselves to be the ones to come in and, well, curb it. And so their way of curbing it is is bloody, right? So, and everybody had their own take. But my favorite in the book is to kind of give you an example. If you're if they're watching a village, like I'd be a werewolf assigned to watch this particular family's home in the village. And if they already have three kids and we decided that's the limit is the population of the town is where it is but this family has another kid, they'd be like, all right, that kid can be there, but I got to now go to town and kill one person out of that village. Someone going to die. And even hints to the fact that certain worlds got corrupt, right? They were picking on people who they themselves didn't like. They were in that situation versus it being any semblance of fair. Now, before you start thinking, well, Bob, what would be considered fair of going in and killing someone? Well, remember that a werewolf in Krinos form would be this giant hulking monstrosity of a, a man meets wolf, and we know that terror. And that's going to, first off, shake some trees. A monster walking in the city is never good, especially at night. And ideally, they would choose like a wolf. You would hope they would choose the weakest or somebody who was old, uh, too far old to be taken care of, somebody who was sick. And, and maybe for the most part, that's what the majority did. But like anything, you hear about the very worst cases or what it became. And the Impergum just became this thing where you would just go and call and move on and call the day. And... They sort of were the wardens of what mankind could and could not do. Now, this, of course, takes a toll. And uh, before that toll gets, we dive into that toll too much. Um, we got to wonder why. Why did they take that in Pergium and why was it such a threat and where did that come from? We might get some insight if we think about their spirituality a bit. And, and Nick, what might we be referring to there? Uh, spirituality in the guru sense is is that they exist between two worlds um both the the world that we're familiar with the one that we interact with every day and then uh a different world almost a a uh well a spiritual world it's a guy in philosophies that that kind of come in what if everything had a spiritual representation what if your your garden wasn't just your garden that that grew beautiful tomatoes but if it had a life of its own and had almost a, an intelligence to it, a, a life force that, that was a, a part of it, that, uh, that you could nurture and adapt the same way you would each individual plant inside of it. And the, the way that that is, 
is the uh, it's an animism aspect, which uh, we're familiar with, with many of the uh, other cultures around the world that have those ideas when they say things like, you know, like uh, Father Owl and, and, and aspects like that, where the animals themselves are more than just a single animal in the world, but the spirit of the animal, um, whether it's its predatory nature or whether it, uh, you know, the, the way it, it sends out calls and things like that. Each one of those are, are more than just, you know, a, a rudimentary aspect of it. It's, a, it's almost an enlightened philosophy of how to exist in the world. One of the terms I heard that made me smile was, uh, and I heard it today, in fact, it was an apple a day helps keep the doctor away. And I started laughing because we were researching this and reading this. And I was like, it's exactly, it's animistic, that very phrase. Because what it's referring to is the health of the apple is transferred to to me or to us when we eat it. And yep. thus that would keep us healthy. Well, that's a very animistic point of view. Healthy crop, healthy, healthy you. And, you know, no, no shit. But uh, to, to add to it, it's hammering home everything that you just said there, Nick, I think was beautifully uh, put. Uh, the only apple that, that I would uh, add to us here in a mental sense is the effects what happens in the real world in werewolf affects the spiritual but vice versa and that was uh very unique to me i I like that idea it's not just in their in their viewpoint either in the world of werewolf if um let's say someone burnt the house down there was like a triple homicide and it's someone covering your tracks if something horrible happened because it's the world of darkness well there would be a spiritual representative to, to what occurred there, to what degree and how much is the ST always who gets to determine that, but that would leave a stain that would draw the wrong type of attention, uh, the type that maybe a werewolf could detect. Or it would be something that the new people who come in here at the land and remove it, instead of a haunting, they you know, very aggressive, very hateful feelings out of nowhere, unresolved issues, who knows? And yep. that's because the land is almost sick because of what happened. Well, to cure it, you'd have to go to the spirit side to be able to figure that out and kind of kind of heal what that is and we'll we'll dive more into that spirituality but that's the that's the opening volley for it um they also refer to a crusade this is a this is kind of a duh right because i kind of feel that that crusade was hammered with the phoenix prophecy right just you know, when will you rage and, and and all that good stuff but basically in a, in a simple term and nick please add to it if you like um they're saying it's guru versus all whom harm and threaten gaia that's, that's what it is. Their main enemy is the worm, and uh, but really anyone that's going to threaten the purity of Gaia and what she's done, and, and that's what it's going at. But this first edition book directs you towards cities, oil pipelines that leach the blood of the earth away, and concrete chokes the land, or my analogy that you read in the Phoenix Prophecy didn't hit till I heard it read to me there, uh, was when it talks about a rake going across her flesh, and it's yep. like really, you're t- that's a little dramatic but you know that's what <laughs> right? well, i think we could all agree on that that trying to compare rake in your garden to to, to you know the word they did use right um, right <laughs> it's uh it's it's definitely a little bit overly dramatic what i like about this is that this i think this really sums up rage in in this section uh the the theme you're getting is when will you rage when will you rage right and uh this is where uh that comes to the, to the fore, it, it tells you that uh, your duty is being of Gaia. It's it's, it's more than just uh, you know the you that serves Gaia. It's the rage inside of you that that brings you to the fore. Very nature of of Gaia is uh, renewal incarnate, but your your rage drives you to that purpose. You can ignore it as long as you want, but at some point 
the rage will drive you to your goal. It's that it's that peace inside of you that that makes you who you are. You can't you can only ignore it for so long before when will you rage? Very true. And to that end, rage against what? Well, the worm. The worm is the funnest part about the apocalypse, in my opinion. And that is because they drive into your head that all that is evil, all that is corrupt, all that is sinister, all the bad things that ever happened to you or anyone is never happenstance. There is a reason for everything and everything to reason, and the worm is behind it all. It is the it is the corrupter of men. It is the uh, defiler of women and children. It is the uh, the the evil that exists that man can't avoid because it's the he's the enemy who's won. He's only winning a lot. A lot of people say that he's won, and the only people to stand against him are the guru. Now, before you think, is it the devil? No, no, it's not the devil. Devil's like chump change. That's like that's like that's like one guy you sat in church and and someone said we'll call him the devil. Lucifer's responsible for it all. He comes in a black suit, whatever, playing fiddle of gold. No, no. The devil's like Al Pacino in a penthouse screaming. This is like <laughs> hellfire raining from the skies. And and that's just an aspect, right? He come it, it isn't even a he. It comes in many forms, and and the form it's taking is corruption, tyranny, and cruelty. Because those are the three things that cannot be stopped in today's modern world. I mean, well, 92, but definitely even now by the now standards, if you want to look at that dire, and remember this is a, the setting, it's gothic punk. We're not saying the world's like this. We're just simply saying the gothic punk setting this game is written in, it is. Yep. And so the worm is all. So what is it the worm does the best? Well, it takes people and innocently uh, leads them to uh, it's a perdition. It's just the best way I could put it. Best intentions, they head out and they end up being the very worst they could possibly be. And that's a best case scenario. It gets far sinister. Like possessions and, and dark spirits and, and mutations when those dark spirits infest. And worse, it's what they do to the land. And this is where I kind of want to hammer this home. There's something they call the urban landscape, right? Where it says mankind ruins nature in the name of progress. Yes. So when it does that, Banes are born. And what a Bane is, is an evil spirit. So to start this process, uh, Bob goes and decides he wants to have a park, and all there is is forest. And my park's going to be five miles, right? Five miles all around. And I bring out the crew, we demolish everything, but we're going to use that wood because we're going to build stuff here because I want an obstacle course because why not? Because it's badass, that's why. Right, and I know CrossFit's in, and I always talk about it on podcasts as a joke, <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to charge people to come here and play in my zone. Well, for me doing that, I didn't need to do that. The force was enough of an obstacle course. We could have just trimmed it or made some peace with it. Nah, I bulldozed down. I have an idea. I have a team. And, you know, all right, well, greed's in there, right? I was It was greedy of me to do that. I, I destroyed the landscape uh, to see my vision come to the, come to the fore. Uh, a bit uh, egotistical there, too. And there may be a creature, an innocent since there is, a evil spirit is born from my desire to do these things. And it's realized when I do the act of sacrifice, the wound to Gaia happens. And so this Bane now is kind of riding me. It's around feeding on my emotions. It's getting stronger in what I do. Everybody that signs up to Bob's hellish CrossFit paradise is, you know, in like Flynn and, and God knows what else. I start selling supplements that adds to it. You know, everything else imagine, I'm becoming this twisted thing as uh, I, I just go about it. And that's, that's a sample story 
of kind of the, the, the tale they want to tell. It's supposed to be about never being satisfied. That's really what this is talking about. Yep. Taking resources for my own selfish gain and growth and destroying the natural landscape that everybody could have enjoyed to see me rise to power. And that, and that greed's kind of echoed and repeat cycled fed through out this book to your face. And so we get first mention of a Bane, evil spirit. However, what's the ancient truth, Nick? Well, the ancient truth is that uh, the guru long ago used to eat mankind. And, uh, and I, I mean that in the sense they, they predated on them, fed on them, and then uh, and carried on. And there's a, there's a reason why this is, a, uh, this is a, a, almost a curse right? It's, uh, there's many philosophies that kind of travel through it where they, they say, potentially, this is what really started the, the corruption inside the guru, because humans have a soul. And uh, in that they shouldn't be they shouldn't be fed on because of that. And, and, and here's the thing, it's twisted. It's, it's because we got this impergium, and it starts to fall into place, right? This impergium gets put in place for about 3000 years, because mankind was growing to excess. Valid, right? They're, they're ruining the landscape and doing things. Now we're in cities with walls, all manner of diseases being, you know, born in the earth and whatnot. Okay, great. Where was they seeing it all as these pure spiritual beings living on the land, guardians of Gaia. But they decide that since we're calling them anyway, and to not take from the land, we'll just take from the, the overabundance of prey. This is instinct. This is instinct. Anybody yep. who looks at this, you're, you, you should be able to see that if you have an overpopulation of any type of prey animal, and that is exactly what humans are to werewolves, your, your prey, that's, you can't do, you're not the apex predator werewolves are. So they're taken from you to make that happen. And you know, Bob's your uncle, as they say. And uh, unless you are my niece or nephews, and then it, it was a British thing anyway. So uh, the, <laughs> the, the point is here with the ancient truth, much like Nick said, this starts here. This is where all trouble comes from because you start making little concessions. If they had this cannibalism going on, what else were they doing to mankind? In the Impergium, if you're overpopulated, <clears throat> and uh, and and you're underpopulated, yeah, you it's, get the idea. If you get a one in ten chance, like it's a, uh, it's how far does it go? It, it, like, because are you embracing this animalistic nature more, or are you doing what the what the humans are doing, which is growing into this intelligent creature? And then, you know, the, the cannibalism taboo comes to the fore and, and these different thoughts are coming as you breed out the wolf and, and become more human and all these other mixes come into the, into the fore. They do another thing, too. I, I was wondering what you thought about that, where they, because uh, I, I never thought of it this way. They hammer in the idea of rebellion being unique to the guru. That the, the urge to rebel is, is, is part of that rage and how it's the young that shape the future of the guru. Not the older generations. Um, what I thought about that, and it gets it gets more dangerous when we get into the litany section. Um, I, I thought uh, I thought it was interesting because what it does do is it gives your players a chance as young guru to have an impact on on the society as as a as a whole, and that almost that's their fulfillment and purpose. But the idea that um, that they should always be rebelling and always be in change, it's hard to say that's not Gaian at its core, that 
they should always be trying to adapt, change, and and you know become something different. Right, and I, I agree with that. Like to me, I felt that was uh, that was also reaching out culturally. There are cultures where you should respect the wisdom of your elders, but those elders want the young to change the world. Right, that's kind of kind of America, right? Uh, you want the children are our future, feed them all, whatever, <laughs> blah blah blah. Right? There's there's songs about it, and I was like, all right, cool, I could get behind it. But that rebellion, like you said, that that's shown later on down the road. But it's weird how they back away from that later on. Um, but shape shifting here, we'll talk about it briefly. And by briefly, because there's not a whole lot to get here, um, they have five forms, right? It starts at, uh, well, we go either end, but we're going to start at the lupus end. That's the wolf form. And then you have hispo. Uh, What hispo is, is there's a prehistoric sized version between the actual Krenos massive monster werewolf movie monster you know about. And between that lupine, there is a middle form. And that's what hispo is. For you Game of Thrones fans, we call them dire wolves. There you go. Then you have the movie monster, what we all know, right? That's the 11 foot tall, super strong, terrifying, eat everybody, kill everything monster. Then you go step down towards the human side and you have what's called Glabro. And Glabro would be uh, a, a human being at their apex, no body fat, but still showing signs of that, that wolf coming through with claws and teeth, a lot more hair, um, definitely yep. probably more musky scented aggressive you know just just <laughs> bestial they always draw like, him being a little more hairy like wet dog a little bit right um, you know you know what's going pointed on pointed ears <clears throat> and, and, and then human yeah. and then human and the thing yep. is they don't need a full moon there is no cycle that they need to be in to be able to shapeshift they could do a day or night at a will it's it's as they choose as they need which is unique and and i would say a little bit um for me it's still a little bit when i first got to this game and realized that you're in control of your shapeshifting. Yeah. I kind of I like the idea of that rage taking over and you battling not becoming this thing and get it going, but it's okay for what it is. Just letting it out there. <laughs> yeah, because it was, it was really cool to me. And if I'm in the weeds, well, you just pull me back in. But the old Hollywood idea was the, the idea of this guy who's cursed to the point where, you know, he's going to at some point become a werewolf and he knows he's going to be a danger to everybody around him. And uh, and he doesn't he doesn't have control over it. And eventually he's going to turn into a monster and he's going to just kill things that he wants to not die. And that they they brought in the the rage aspect as part of what institutes this shift as opposed to just the phase of the moon. It still it still holds to that core idea of. It's a matter of time before you turn into this monster and you do something you're going to regret. And that's that's what I liked about it. And that's a good take. Because um, uh, rolling into this kind of explains an aspect, right? Um, part that you can't get away from with this rage in you, this creature that you are, vegan's not allowed. Right? When it, gets, when it got to food, I was, I was laughing about it. <laughs> when it got to food, at least according to First Ed, it's, it's that where it was preferred meat, red, raw meat. It's the killer in them. It's the predator in them. They want that beef. It's what's for dinner. You don't, uh, you don't get by on a side salad. No one here is going to Caesar this up, call it a day. Chicken be damned. You you want to run down that deer. Now, you can definitely eat all sorts of other stuff. That's on the menu. Feel free. Um, however, that is an unusual werewolf yep. that goes that route only. And You, you, you must... can eat nacho cheese Doritos. It's It's possible. It's just not nutritional. It's, 
And that's how it is. And then they have this whole thing where they uh, hammer home to you. This is the end. We are a dying race, right? Now, why? It's because the guru hunted by the worm and its minions are legion. They, they fail to keep mankind in check and it's killing Gaia. The worm is super strong because of it. And uh, they have to find a way to balance the scales. They have to find a way to heal Gaia. And this is all while they're being outbred and extinction is not far behind. And, and why yeah. that is, how do you face all these things? Right? How are you to go out and like, you, you hear it all, like a Valdez oil spill old school ago, you know, oil pipe, you can't stop that. How is one character going to come, one guru going to jump in and get it done and figure it out? Yep. Well, there are ideas. There are ideas here. Um, but hold that thought. Because as we get into book one, which is, that was the intro, folks, by the way. But as you get into book one, <laughs> uh, you get into the background of it. And in here, an interesting quote that I found very, uh, very compelling. And it's by Nietzsche. It says that the, the earth has skin and skin has diseases. One of these diseases is called man. Once again, we're hammering home, kill all the people. Right? They're screaming for a bomb in the form of raging werewolves. Just, just call the balance, right? Um, but uh, they give a, an even better kind of poem that they start this with. It's the cancer is spreading. Her breath is weak. Her lungs are being cut from her. Her fever runs hot. Her body shakes and she moans in agony. Her skin is flayed open. Her spirit flickers like her spirit flickers like a candle in the wind. She is dying. Her tormentors stand before you, unheeding, uncaring. They rape her, your mother. Make them pay. I mm. Right at this point, I went and made another character. That was this guy, and I couldn't see how he brought peace to your chronicle. <laughs> right, I couldn't see it. I, I couldn't see me letting people live. Like, this was not going to happen. If you weren't Guru, ah, ooh, come on, a tong. It was done. And uh, it's, that's hot, right? To me, that's, uh, that's, that's fuel from my fire when you think of it. But I think all this wording and verbiage is designed to get you amped up and then read where you come in as the players were about to get to, right? And so we went over the characteristics of uh, the werewolf here with shape-shifting a little bit. Um, but what we didn't get into is some of their common abilities. For instance, allegedly werewolves are immune to wounds. Well, we know what they mean is they rapidly heal from almost all injury, right? For you yeah. mechanics out there, it's one health level per turn that they actually get back, at least in the core to first dead with like no effort. And unless it's fire, silver, or the claws and teeth of other supernals, they're, they're going to keep coming. Right, you don't exactly yep. kill these guys, um, but Nick, what are gifts? Gifts are they're—they're uh, they're just that, as as the name says, they're a gift. But the important part about a gift is who it comes from. Uh, gifts come from spirits, so uh, a, a gift is, in essence, a, a spirit sharing its nature with you. So if a uh, ooh, I like how you put that. Yeah, it's um. It's like the the gift to be able to swim like a fish uh, through the water, or to to be able to see like an eagle. Uh, those the those types of of ideas that it's the very nature of a, a a spirit giving that that capability to you. They add in here, um, as I was well put. They add in here about the perception that will also throw you off as a as a hominid. We'll say is that you have vastly increased perceptions of hearing and scent. As a Hamid. Yeah. 
It's just that's just part yeah. of your werewolf characteristics. It'd be weird, right? Walk into a forest, smell like a wolf. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, and, and there's limits. I mean, obviously, as you transition between forms, those change more. But in its very sense, it, it, it is very core. You're a little bit different just being what you are. And it's very likable when you look at it in those terms. I think that's often overlooked. Um, they uh, Then they dive into, for the first time, frenzy. Right, The culmination of frustration reaching a fevered peak wherein the wolf takes complete control of the human side and rages in Krenos form, the werewolf form, bringing harm and devastation until the ecstasy of freedom is felt. So, in other words, the release of the rage is exhausted, is what yeah. they're talking about. They're going to be in that frenzy until that all goes away. And that's the terrifying part about a werewolf. I mean, imagine that. All that power, all that strength, and they're just wrecking shop. How would you ever, you know, get out of the way of that, calm that down? What would you do? Now, uh, in here, they talk about a vision of evil. And uh, they immediately jump into that for the background. And they're talking about the mood of Werewolf, how it's it's dark, yeah. brutal, and exotic. That it's gothic ambiance of horror laid over a film noir. A dying world. A punk world of pollution and decay. Right? This yeah. in, in this image, the end is not coming. It's already here. The worm hunts you as it tears apart Gaia. In other words, what you're meant to protect and, and to love. Earth's doomed and the fault lies with its guardians, the Guru. That's, that can't be forgotten, right? Because the stories in Werewolf all contain a feeling of impending horror. That this is going to be in the end somehow. This is some un unsurmountable odds. How are you ever going to survive it? When are you going to rage? But not only is the end coming, but in some way, the characters are the cause themselves. Yep. The monster within and the monster without, without and, question. And that's and that's deep because uh, when I when I read that I was like makes perfect sense. And how did we get away from this? There are plenty of werewolf games I've played and even seen ran where this is not the element, right? Where immediately everybody's a hero, everyone's sitting around, and you're just you know you didn't really earn the hero title. It's just assumed. Uh, uh well, to be fair, Bob, everybody's the hero of their own story, right? Yes and no. Like, here's the thing. I don't defend it. I'm not condemning. What I'm saying is, is that when you look at this material and you read it this way, in this 1992 first edition book, they paint off the bat, you're monsters. You're yep. the cause of everything that's happened. You are. You did a 3,000 year in Pergium and didn't stick to your guns. You didn't fucking, excuse me, you didn't hold up uh, to the, the promises you made to protect Gaia and look what the humans have done. You didn't guide the humans. You didn't intercede in their behalf. There's so much you failed to do and you didn't stop the worm. It's just failure after failure after failure after failure that you inherit as a descendant of these guru. And now that you've inherited it, what are you going to do with that? But there's hope. The game sets that flavor on purpose because remember, it's the background. That's the backdrop. What you're creating are the heroes that must exist in this world, right? It's not the heroes already there. It's the heroes that your players must be. They have to find some way to become heroic and defy the worst of themselves from within and accomplish something great to assist Gaia without. Become their own legends. That's the point of the game. When will you rage? Exactly. And so when you think of that, they take on a failed legacy tainted by evil, and must choose to redeem it. It's it's Greek heroes, right? It's 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 a Greek tragedy all over again, except you get to write the ship. 
And that's that's what you want to go for. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. Right. That's the, you know, the way the the Phoenix prophecy tells you at the beginning. Ah, it's all over, son. It's coming. It's it's you're never going to stand a chance. And here you are, you know, just trying to canoe upstream of this <laughs> uh, this just madness that's that's happening and and that's that's the point of this game. Insurmountable odds. But it's to be the man who stands up or woman to to defy those odds and be the hero. That yeah. is the point of the story, that there is no hero until the players make the characters. Yeah. And that's you have to understand that. If you have to rewind and rehear that, please do it. And note that as a storyteller, note that as a player. So when your players come and they do the rules and they got these big bad monsters that you see on sheets being formed up, your goal is to tell a tale of how they become heroes. Right? But they have to earn it. That's the thing the players got to realize. You got a pack. You start with power. You got all this going for you. Everyone's expecting good things from you. It's up to those players that have a group formed to be in a pack that are heroes. Not grandstanding to where only they look good. They got to serve a part in a pack that is going to rise to the occasion uh, to conquer whatever problem they built their character to be good at handling. Right? Point of a pack is kind of a family unit. And that's... No one person in a pack or a family unit handles all problems. Kind of shared the welfare. But together, a hero will rise. And that's uh, that's it on that end. That's, that's straight up the background of the game. Now, in here they throw some stuff at us. And here it's uh, some common parlance terms. But um, I feel we're going to be good at addressing a lot of this. Except for these weird ones. Did yeah. you, did you this spot? Is, uh, this is our lexicon. You know, that, uh, that most vampire uh, folks are familiar with. So in here, the ones that I knew that are just the least used. The Concord, for sure. Well, the Concord gets used at least more than other ones, but go ahead. What's the Concord? Uh, The Concord is an agreement that uh, was reached like 4,000 years ago. Uh, All the tribes kind of got together uh, and they decided to end the Impergium. So like uh, the reason that they, they, they quit killing everything that wasn't them was because they all sat down and said, Hey, maybe we're going too far. And they all sat down and said, you know what? I think we've gone too far. We'll call an end to this. We'll call it the Concord. And no one told the red talons to show up. That's why they still do it. But that's the- <laughs> <laughs> enough about them. Uh, so, uh, so another term in here is called the Kenning. This is the empathic calling performed by some guru when howling. You never really hear about that. Right. Yeah. It's- Sort of yeah. thrown in the wayside. <laughs> the moon calf, <laughs> sir, <laughs> is a a moon calf is an idiot or a simpleton. And if that uh, wasn't enough, mule. Yes, uh, they use this more than a couple times. A mule is what they call a metis. <laughs> Obviously, we know a mule being a uh, half donkey, half horse. Uh, so it's, uh, that's definitely a, a between the rib shot. Here's one that will not walk well across any table going forward. I promise you in 2020 ape it's slang for a Hamid. There's just a lot of people that are not going to be hip to hearing that thrown at the table that I don't think was even hip when this came out, um, in, in 92 here. Um, and it says, if the speaker wishes to indicate true contempt for her subject, she may change the word ape to monkey. And this is, when is this appropriately used? 
I hope to God it's only ever used when it's a lupus role-playing uh, to talk about man, right? Man's a hairless ape. And you could uh, you could see that being on, but I'm willing to bet you don't even have to go that far. Yeah, I mean, uh, be, be creative. Just, you know, it, there's there's a history some words it, sometimes. Be conscious of that, even if maybe the writers weren't. The, the heart of the subject is, you know, downplay them as 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 just a dumb animal. Right. As people, not as anything else. Right. And then uh, they got the term the flock, which refers to all of humanity. I think that's a beautiful term. I just haven't seen used enough. You know, because we refer to the flock, I guess it works, but, uh, you know. Yeah. I, uh, or, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I can't, I can't argue against that. You never see that. So the old form is going to throw you for a loop. There's a lot of common ones here. Um, ailing, or is yeah. it Aisling? Ashling. Ashling. Ashling, if you go by the Irish pronunciation. And that's going to be a lot here, right? A journey into the spirit world. Uh, Anime means soul friend. <laughs> right? Uh, I, often, I'm hoping that's just not how it's pronounced, but it just might be. Right, it just like, might be anime. Animea. Yeah, I don't know. Ant-Man, I don't know what it is. Anime to us. <laughs> so the Anne Ruth is uh, one I've seen in... I'm almost positive that's a new term in the Chronicles of Darkness, uh, Werewolf Forsaken, uh, but I may be wrong. Um, it's a guru who travels from cairn to cairn, but is bound to none of them. All right. Isn't that just slang for a silent strider? Right. That's first edition starting out. Baby steps. <laughs> all right. We have uh, a when the sacred muse, the creative impulse that, all right, needs a term for creativity. Banshee. <laughs> Banshee is what you think it is. It's, uh, it's spelled differently. It doesn't have the two E's on the end of it. It just has an I. Uh, but it's an angry, spiteful, or malevolent spirit. There's there's a bunch of these. We're, we're going to let a lot of this go. Uh, just I wanted to go through a little bit so you could see that in that first ad, there's there's some in the weeds terms that uh, yeah. you know maybe weren't needed later on, but that just seemed cool at the time. Like Brug, right? Brug, I thought, described a, a place in... Uh, there was a movie with Colin Farrell. That's the only reason I ever heard of Brug. In Bruges? Yes, that's it. Yeah. And uh, and here it says it's a sacred place, right? Whether it's a guru, Karen, or a wormhole, it's uh, it's something sacred. Some land where people like it. <laughs> it's good to go. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of terms in here worth looking through to kind of gauge your brain to it. Um, but book two gets into the setting, and uh, in the setting itself is where you can see a lot of terminology kind of come to life. In terms of well, how do you pack this around something you can you can really get your teeth into? And first and foremost, they do a deeper dive into what a gothic punk world is. Ironically, I think more than any other book, even Vampire, they uh, when you get to gothic punk here, they try real hard to hammer home a definition as they see it in Werewolf, which opens your eyes, at least mine, uh, to a lot of what they might have even been intending in Vampire, right? And uh, here they talk about a gothic punk world is darker than the real world. We knew that. Check. Crime is corrupt and everywhere. Corruption in politics and in the government are a given. Corporations are evil entities that strive to choke every penny from everyone, and worse. Large areas of old structures and monolithic cities of dystopian feel. Yes. Is is that gothic punk world, right? Um, However, punk is part of it. 
And punk is attitude. It's the rebellion against all of that. You know, people yep. lash out in injustice and are on the brink of doing something about it all in every type of way. Rebellion is in is the thing to do with more than one way to do so. Uh, Fight Club is a movie to check out or a book. Uh, DC's Gotham and Judge Dredd's feel come to mind when thinking of a lot of the setting. I like how we both came to that same conclusion about Gotham City being like the highlight of that of that gothic feel. Right. I mean, I mean it, maybe it's in the name. But you think about that uh, at every iteration of Batman, when they portray Gotham, it's like the, uh, you know, the typical line from the Joker. Is it just me or are things getting worse out there? Yeah, they are. (laughs) When will you rage, Batman? When will you rage? (laughs) But uh, In the Gotham punk world, why its namesake is given and hammered home is because the players stand out as heroes in a beacon-like fashion because they will tip the scales in being themselves and the deeds accomplished. So this right here is the, if you're fans of Dungeons & Dragons, the paladin in Ravenloft, right? He should be a beacon or she to every evil that fears that paladin or hates them or whatever that feeling. That's how I see werewolf players. All the things bad are now paying attention to you because you bring the ruckus. You're shaking things up and have the potential to, to tip it all. And that's that's kind of a fun feel in the game. I like the uh, the um, the part where it because we already talked about the curse, right? You know, and and how it, it that really permeates to the to the core of people and 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 sets you as a character aside on that. And people should really really work with that. And even the even the glass walkers and the bonars and people who blend in with, with Hamid society are still outcasts, even in these places where they're, where they're comfortable when you're in line at Starbucks for a chai mocha latte, it, <laughs> people should still be at unease about you, you know, like wondering when you're going to lose your mind and have a Karen moment at the counter, you know, <laughs> the, I'm just picturing uh, it. But what I really liked about this section was when they talked about the Gothic punk wilderness, because we don't see that in uh, in any of the, uh, in the in the vampire supplement stuff, really, where it talks about the the brooding dark woods, the the gnarled, veiny, you know, trees and moss and wrap around and the dense fog and the the feeling of impending doom whenever you're alone in the dark woods it's that very red riding hood feel of uh <laughs> that they they want to they want to bring it home even if you are the werewolf in the woods who is the guy everyone should be worried about there's stuff that should be even giving you pause right i i like how they mention uh, a a good effect is a swooping owl landing on its prey but the players see it Right. Kind of hammers it home. That'd be like, oh, someone's eating, just not me. And <laughs> <laughs> all right, I wonder if that's a portent. Something coming, you know. Cool the idea things. that they would uh, see things in the distance, and then when they get to it, it's nowhere, nowhere near it. You know, like it, those those classic um, unsettling things. That could just be something playing on your mind, but could be something to look into, and it's it's a fun feel. Um, they talk about uh, present day gothic which is interesting in the the 92 book when you're reading it from 2020 but it says uh basically grew or prone to apathy and malaise 
as sins of the father come home to infect and annoy the modern guru, right? And that's something to to note. It's, it's something that should be constantly on the players, really. It's the fact that uh, we really have to fight this hopeless fight. There's there's nothing we can do, you know. The mentality of better to reign in hell, serve in heaven is a constant temptation. You know, why not ignore the worm and have a full life? Uh, leave it to someone else to die nobly. Uh, every day they're the guru whom are falling victim to this mentality. And and what do they do about it? You know, how do you how do you overcome it? And that feeling should that opportunity, that seduction should never leave the mind of a player. You know, something you mentioned the children of um, the Glasswalkers, excuse me, and how they're yeah. kind of left to gain money and handle the city problems and whatever. How easy would it be for them to kind of fade back and just be these moguls of of multi millions and not and yeah. not worry? You know, or when you're a Russian oligarch. Right. And uh, that's the temptation you're supposed to battle, right? They're supposed to use those resources to make a difference and help out. Where's that line? And that's, that's, that's all there. And of course, uh, the spirit world, we see that again, right? Only this time they give us a little more. And you're going to see that in this book. First, it's a general. Yeah. Then they get back to it, circle back to make sure that you learn a little more. Now we're going to add a little more to it. This rendition, they're talking about that realms beyond Earth do exist. And that's where this kind of is, oh, wow, okay. Um, and they're referring directly to the fact that, you know, uh, fey realms, dreamlands, nightmares, and beyond. It's not just uh, there's a spirit world that's a reflection of the real world. No, there's realms beyond that one can go to. And uh, they circle in a sort of an unseen cosmic map of the spirit world in and of itself. They're all tied to the fate of the real world, and they're felt by the guru and other shapeshifters. But in this point, just the guru they're focused on. Yeah, and the hard part is understanding uh, kind of how the uh, the Umbra and the spirit world and all that stuff uh, blends together. Uh, knowing what we use Umbra for in in scientific terms, kind of kind of breeds that uh, a little bit of a, a thing to it. Now, Umbra is what we call during a solar eclipse when the moon passes in front of the uh, of the sun and uh, and that shadow casts down on Earth. That's called the umbra. It's almost like this uh, this dark reflection um, to uh, kind of think about it that way. So when you get into that that spirit world and uh, and that umbra past the Tellurian, which you will find in the lexicon, um, the uh, that shadow world and uh, and spiritual world is just another facet of like this this dark side of of the world we have now. It's just two halves, two sides, the same coin. To that end, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get into a bit of uh, what the actual breed forms are. Uh, we have lupus, metis, and of course, Hamid. And uh, we're going to start off by, I deliberately copied this over to read them exactly what they have in the book. Because <laughs> I found them rather interesting, as we had here, right? Yeah. Um, so off the, I'll do, we'll just take turns here. I'll start with lupus. It says, uh, lupus were brought up as creatures of instinct. And although they were undoubtedly more intelligent than their wolf surrogate family, they were and are still generally untutored in the subtleties of higher thought. They tend to speak less as they value actions more than long-winded orations, much like me, uh, and speak directly <laughs> without much in the way of flattery, irony, sarcasm, or metaphor. They detest liars. If a lupus doesn't like you, you'll know it. This is not to imply that lupus are stupid. On the contrary, they are among the most cunning of the guru in terms of simply getting things done and can come up with elaborate plans for achieving objectives. Now, why this is unique 
for some reason, someone rewrote the wheel in this description and never should have touched it. That's just my take on it. I feel that this is hands down the best yep. mention of lupus, and we'll certain we'll get into it in more editions, but just no, I, I, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Uh, the part where they're, they're talking about the intelligence of the wolf itself and the lupus is uh, is a part I, I, I enjoy so much because you're not just playing a dumb dog, right? You're playing a cunning predatory creature that understands its place in the world. It's beautiful. How about these metas? I'll tell you about these metas. Although metas guru are perhaps the most familiar with guru culture, in many ways, they are, least, they are the least part of it. Uh, their existence is a stain on the guru. And metas themselves are sterile and deformed, victims of the combination of recessive and inbred genes. They are generally scorned, held in contempt by their peers. Although permitted to live in this day and age, the Gru can't be too picky about their warriors, and it is the Metis who can most easily attain the dread Krenos form from which, you know, everyone's so terrified of. It's, uh, it's a hard row, or a hard road to, to, to roll down as, as a Metis when, uh, when everyone blames you for the sins of the father. Like, but that is them? a theme of the game. Like, why play them? Right when I read that, I'm like, "Oh, well, they suck." I'm not. Oh, I'd be whoa. You know what I mean? Like it's. Just I'll, little... I'll, I, I can tell you why, Kane, bro. <clears throat> right, it's a lot of shade but thrown. We're gonna have to come up with a new term, though. Uh, obviously, for Kane, bro, to 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 reflect the uh, the werewolf side. But like, uh, going the ham. Great, the great thing about Krenos or uh, about Metis is that they are, their natural form is Krenos. They don't have to try and change. To go to war, they showed up ready to go to war. Colonel Swarm going ham. Sorry, I'm I'm addicted to it. So that's uh, that's I'm, I'm using. Watch, you can see it again. Uh, that's. <laughs> uh, Are you yes. a ham, bro? Right, you just you go ham, son. Don't you like ham around here? All right, so we're anyway, gonna, we're about to make a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we we get to last but not least, Hamid. Hamaguru grew up in human society, and although they were uh, maladjusted and ostracized, they still know how the system works. They understand and use the subtle shadings of human vocabulary, and can interact with the humans much better than the other guru. Interesting how they don't even see Hamids as being human, right? And it's because they're guru, and I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah. Now, Hamids are in the middle of a moral quandary, for although they see the environmental devastation wrought by their kindred, uh, they cannot reconcile themselves to the destruction of their people. The guilt they feel at their racist folly is often synthesized into anger at the lupus, and they are likely to insult and bicker with their lupine brethren, treating them like rustic fools. And here's where I have the first what? Like, I can't blame wolves because we built a city. Right? Yeah. So if you have oil poisoning the ocean, what are you going to, like, what, was it, was it Lassie that did it? Did you have a bunch of angry people to get around and do that? That doesn't make any sense. I, I think they're just hammering down at the end of the day that these two sides, the wolf and the and the human side, are are natural enemies or competitors in the in the predatory environment, right? The the humans keep taking the werewolves or the wolves territory and and decimating the wolf population. We'll get to it later. They 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 bring out hard numbers. Um 
and uh, and the werewolves, or I got a quick call on them. The actual wolves, the lupus, they um, they constantly come out and uh, you know like take the the farmer's flock and you know and and do what they do naturally. It's uh, the two of them are so uh, diametrically opposed in their viewpoints of how to exist in the world. The idea of a supermarket to a lupus is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I couldn't agree more. It's <laughs> it's it's one of the things where you're, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, you, you say this, but um, how how would that leap be done? And the only thing I can make out is that it's clear the author wants you to hate humans, right? They, 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 may, they want you to hate humans. They want you to put that focus on ending them. But then they're like, hold on, hold on, find a way, find a way, but kill them first. And then they're then they're like, oh, wait, but just don't, you know, if you're Hamid, it's the lupus fault. It's their fault. It's their fault all this time. If you're lupus, it's the human's fault. And so that means the Metis are the middleman. They're the ones that, by the way, filled with rage and hated by both sides, are the ones who are supposed to go, hold on. Hold on, everybody. There's got to be a way out of this. You can't all, look, look, just give me all your hate. You figure out a way to make it work. Can't we all just get along and they all throw bones at him and it's like, ah, come on, guys. Right. He says, this is quit playing around and your club foot tries to get out the way. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's how they paint him right? step drag step drag and, and i sit there going how frustrating right and that's that's where it is well it's how this book's painting initially <laughs> all right everyone now this brings us to a close uh what we have right here for part one um the next steps that we're going to do i can't tell you exactly how many parts we estimated in three we'll have it licked um expect that we're going to have some parts that we're just going to review no need to give you all the detail because we went through the in-depth explanation already and so we'll highlight those let you know what those are as we get through but remember the point of this is not just to review the book and up oh, get it the point of this is to go okay this is werewolf and let's slow down and understand the game we're getting and know that this yep. is why we should be playing it and that's it if you have any questions please reach out to me or nick um or any of us really uh we, we definitely know the game and you know how and uh nick i want to thank you my friend Do you have anything you want to add uh, to this uh no i'm i'm actually really excited about the uh, the cool format that we're going down with this. I like the idea that that we're, we're treating people like they've never seen Werewolf before with this podcast series because we want to bring you along. If you're just a vampire fan, we want to share with you how awesome this series is. This is a great game. Please come with us. There's a reason we're as excited about this as we are <laughs> other versions of the game. 110%. Well said. Thanks, everybody, and we look forward to uh, talking to you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25YearsVTM.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25YearsVTM, or on our website, www.25YearsVTM.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.